You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on the Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I'm the owner of Free Method Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice empowering women to break up with diet culture by teaching them how to trust, respect, and feel safe in their bodies. We welcome all foods over here from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. This episode of Food Freedom Podcast is sponsored by our Free Method Recipe Book. It's time that you have a way to create flavor-packed meals that you enjoy that also align with your goal of food freedom. This recipe book is designed to support your intuitive eating journey so you can gain confidence in the kitchen. Complete with recipes that emphasize gentle nutrition, you'll find delicious and simple recipes that allow you to win back your time. Head to freemethodnutrition.com slash recipe book to get yours today. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I am joined by Emma Darpino. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so, so, so happy to be here. Yes, we are excited to have you. So I would love if you took a minute just to introduce yourself to our guests. Totally. So uh, my name is Emma and I am a registered dietitian working within the field of eating disorders, fat positivity, body liberation, and health at every size in the Boston, Massachusetts area. I am part of a group practice right outside of Boston in a town called Newton called Peace, Love, Food, Nutrition Counseling. And I have been with this group practice for about two and a half years. Um, Prior to working in private practice, I was actually a pediatric dietitian working in the clinical setting. So just think like hospital beds, a lot of IV nutrition, tube feeds, um, but also working in the outpatient setting in adolescent medicine, which is actually where I was introduced to the more um, professional clinical side of eating disorders, which kind of led me to this world where I'm currently practicing. I think it's, I always kind of mention this because it's just so interesting how everything kind of falls into place, but I was actually in the, in the midst of my dietetic internship. So a dietetic internship for folks who don't know is basically just I like to call it a residency because I feel that's like, what I do too. You know, I feel like it deserves to be called yeah. a residency because it yeah. basically is one where registered dietitians have to complete a 1200 hour dietetic internship through accredited program in order to be eligible to sit for the boards, um, the national exam that we take. So I was actually in the midst of my internship when someone had actually reached out to me someone from college actually, who sent me a podcast, which is so awesome, um, about intuitive eating. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Um, I feel like I've heard of this 
before. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of this book that I, a dietitian actually, when I was seeing my own dietitian in high school had given to me. And so I had gone upstairs to my childhood bedroom at the time and took the book off the shelf and it was intuitive eating. Um, So when I was in high school, I think maybe I think I had just gotten the used copy of the intuitive eating book, but um, it was the 1995 version, which I think all dietitians <laughs> say. And I think Elise and Evelyn, the authors will agree, like, do not pick that book up. Yeah. Because <laughs> there are many other editions now that are more up to date, but it was really a full circle moment. Um, mm. I remember kind of... Uh, purchasing the book from my dietitian at the time in my own eating disorder recovery and being like, this is BS. Like I want yeah. weight loss. Like why, yeah. why did my dietitian give me this book? Like I want to mm. lose weight. And so it was really just, um, a really eye-opening moment to kind of come back full circle about to become a dietitian yeah. and find this book. And even at the time I, I wasn't practicing intuitive eating. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't certified in it. Um, so it was, it was really nice to kind of see my own journey grow, um, in such an important moment in time for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, I've talked to so many other dietitians and I'm sure you have too around intuitive eating and just how we're not even taught anything about it in school. Really. Oh, no. like, it's kind of embarrassing. Or, I kind yeah. of tell my clients yeah. who I've known for a while, like, so this wasn't learned in school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at all. At all. Which is, you know, um, which brings me to the point actually, just this past um this past winter, I applied to to grad school, mm-hmm. which was a big kind of daunting process yeah. that I was kind of putting off for a little while. But I decided to go into a master's PhD program um, Mm. for health professions education with this idea in mind that this stuff needs to be taught in school, (laughs) you know, like intuitive eating, um, health at every size, you know, Mm. utilizing care through a weight neutral approach. And, you know, I'm sure you, uh, you know, you feel this and many of the other dietitians, I'm sure feel this way too, is that, you know, the frustration that we feel when doctors and other health healthcare providers, um, when they don't know health at every mm-hmm. size principles, or they don't know about the anti-diet movement, or when they're recommending weight loss, it's a really tough place to be. And I think I've I've really accumulated a lot of patience over the time, mm-hmm. which I'm sure both of my parents would be very proud to hear. Um, yes. But <laughs> um, that you know, I have to take a moment when I'm when I'm speaking to other healthcare providers and even other people. You know that mm-hmm. like they just don't know this. You know, like yeah. they just didn't learn this in school, and so it's sort of like this form of ignorance in a way, and it's tough mm-hmm. because you know I'm sure that the fat community and the health at every size community, they're fed up. And I would of course Mm -hmm. be fed up too, because there's this very diverse group of people who this isn't new for. They've Mm -hmm. been experiencing and maybe Mm -hmm. listeners here, you know, might have experiences for the majority of their lives since their first Mm -hmm. pediatric visit that they could remember. You know, there's a lot of trauma happening in the healthcare field. And unfortunately, and fortunately, I, I witnessed that as a dietitian, mm-hmm. and I think that's where I started really recognizing that my role as a dietitian, which again wasn't really taught or talked about in school, is really being this like 
this protector, like this, this, you know, this, I I will, I don't want to fight your battles, but if there's a battle that you're not ready to fight, Mm -hmm. I'll totally go to the front line for you. I'll totally be your cheerleader and fight for you in that. And I think that that's really, um, it's an underrated role for Mm. sure, being in this intuitive eating and health at every size field. Mm. I love everything you just said. And even especially, I think what stood out is like you said about people who are in larger bodies who've been dealing with this for years and years and years. Like it's, it's not new, like they've been dealing with this and it may feel, you know, new air quotes to like, or new, even as in like, Oh, it's this like trendy thing that people are starting to talk about about this. Yeah. But it's like, okay, this is, this has been going on for years, decades, all of that. Absolutely. Um, and it's not, a trend like it it's not right. just this thing where it's, it's like, not just oh, hopping on the is- bandwagon and we'll, we'll yes. try this out and I think that yes. that's a really good point because I think it, it's like this double-edged sword and I'm sure you know this is why it's so hard especially with media and mm-hmm. and social media and mainstream media is that it we're, we're seeing and reading information like every second of every day. Like it's really wild to think, you know, just, you know, 20 years ago, you know, like things were through magazines and newspapers, right? So for people to learn about something like health at every size, or even a new diet, you know, it, was in an issue that you might get monthly, right? So Mm -hmm. you turn from getting information monthly to getting information every five seconds. Like that's a lot, you know? And so Mm. I, I, I kind of talk about it in this way of like, both in great news and learning, but also mm-hmm. there's going to be a negative side to it. You know, there's also just yeah. like the false information, you know, like mm-hmm. I take a look at the pandemic, for instance, and even yeah. the vaccine, you know, like mm-hmm. the reason why <laughs> there wasn't media out there when the polio yeah. vaccine came out. So everyone yeah. was just <laughs> listening to the CDC and the doctors yeah. and, and all that. But because media is now so mainstream and so dangerously accessible. And I say Mm. dangerously accessible in the way of reading information, but also creating information, meaning that like anyone can create an Instagram or create a blog and write something and say, this is true and throw in the word research or throw in the word studies and not link anything. Um, And it's, it's a really hard world. You know, like I, Mm. I really create a lot of space for my clients and even folks in my profession and my personal life to be like, Mm -hmm. this is hard. Yeah. It's really hard to navigate all of this. It is completely yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. And knowing like what's true and what's not true, because we live in a world where everyone is an expert. And mm-hmm. like you said, with the media, it's like, okay, it used to be, you know, you'd get a magazine every month. And and even not to say that all of the people writing in that magazine are experts, because they right. maybe weren't either. Right. Journalists, but now it's like, you know, yeah. like, it's not even like dietitians were writing in columns. Like. Yes. But then it's like, okay, now I'm seeing like, all these TikTok trends of these people talking about what they're eating and how yeah. they're cutting out XYZ foods. Yeah. Maybe I should do that too. Right. Which then thinking about, you know, the clients we serve who like, it makes sense why that would be so confusing. Like I would be confused. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which yeah, makes it hard. And then even thinking about like 
again, like thinking about people in larger bodies, going to doctors, going to health providers who are telling them like, you need to lose weight, your BMI is this, like all of these like scary things. It makes sense why they would, you know, doctors are like, quote unquote, the experts and not to right, you know, they're discount credible doctors, resources. But, right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And I think that you bring up a really good point because then we have that other sphere of information where it's like, well, even like dietitians, you know, I yeah. feel like in my oh earlier my years of being a dietitian, I would tell people like, if it has the letters RD mm-hmm. after their name, it's credible. And now I'm yeah. like, um, Maybe not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's going to be a little bit harder than that. And again, yeah. I'm not saying like, you know, like, again, I'm not saying that just anyone can go to med school or not anyone. It's mm-hmm. a, it's really hard work to be in the healthcare field, to become yeah. a nurse, to become a doctor, to become a dietitian, a physical therapist. Like it is hard stuff. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I think it's recognizing that once we leave the academic field or mm-hmm. our residency or our clinical settings, mm-hmm we're really get to do what we want to do. I mean, obviously there's licensure laws and things in place, but at the same time, I think it really comes down to ethical care. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really the difference. And I, I really wish that ethical care was something that was more so highlighted in my education. You know, like I might've had like a slide on social determinants of health um, and social determinants of health. um, Mm -hmm. If, just to kind of define what that is, is, is basically recognizing that we don't all have the same resources, you know? Mm -hmm. So even if I am the same age, the same skin color, making the same income, um, I might live in a food desert or I might not have a car. Um, or even if someone, I mean, with, with race, it's even more pertinent, you know, like Mm -hmm. recognizing how that comes into play with poverty, um, educational resources, like Mm -hmm. the pandemic, like if you were a single mom with two kids, how were you getting to the grocery store if the public transportation was down, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but you can't, you don't have an Amazon prime membership. So how were you getting groceries? You know? So like, these are the type of things where it's like, when we learned in school interventions and interventions is just like this plan of care. So when you go see someone, it's like, okay, I'm going to assess you. And this is the advice that I'm going to give you. It's mm-hmm. very standardized. It's like, okay, yeah. eat fiber and don't eat saturated fat. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. what about, where do you live? What allergies do you have? Yeah. Do you like <laughs> fruits and vegetables? Yeah. You know, like those are the things that we really have to be asking. And so for folks mm-hmm. that are kind of stuck in the sphere of like, okay, well, my doctor is telling me to do this. It's recognizing, well, does your doctor know you? Does your doctor know that you don't want to lose weight? Or does your doctor Mm -hmm. know that you're, this is a big one, that you're seeing a health at every size intuitive dietitian? (laughs) (laughs) A lot of my clients are like, oh my gosh, I'm a, my doctor told me I had to lose weight again. And I'm like, all right, let me write that email or let me give you a handout because, you know, that is really the difference. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where if health at every size definitely, um, incorporates those principles into care. Mm. We're not saying with intuitive eating and health at every size that we're anti-nutrition. I mean, every dietitian could agree. We've been in this field for some people as long as like seven years, depending Mm. on what program they did. We're not like throwing everything out. It's just more so how can we take the science that we know and Mm. incorporate you, incorporate you as the client, as, you know, as the person that we're being taken care of. And I think that is what's, what's really hard. 
with all of this, even, mm. even again, asking if health is not a moral value. And I think that's a mm. really hard one for a lot of yeah. people to hear and a lot of providers to hear because mm. that's why we're, that's why we are in this field. We want to yeah. help people become their best versions of themselves. But in order to do that, that person needs to be part of that conversation and part of that team. So if someone cannot afford a medication, then mm. you telling them that they have to spend that money isn't yeah. really helping them, isn't really yes. creating the best version of themselves. So yeah. I think that that is, that is really the, the sticky part of these conversations is like, listen, I'm all about reducing your risk of developing diabetes, but I'm also mm -hmm. saying that someone can be completely healthy and still have diabetes. I'm yes. saying that someone is still a good person and they have diabetes. And I think yes. that's where people get a little tripped up. Uh, I totally agree. And then I think on that same topic, people are very quick, you know, someone gets diagnosed with diabetes, they throw a hand out their way, tell them like, here's all these foods you need to cut out. Here's all these yes. foods you need to start it's, eating. It's just this rabbit hole. Absolutely. Yes. You need to yes. lose weight. You can't eat carbs. Like mm -hmm. carbs are very important. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless of any, whatever you have, like yes. they are so important. And so again, like, yes, that type of stuff. And it's hard because I was just talking about this with my professor of like, just recognizing this is where, you know, asking doctors, asking your providers, like, is there updated research on that? You know, question yeah. them, you know, mm -hmm. you are, you are hiring them. Mm -hmm. You, if you are a client of mine, you have hired me. I work yeah. for you. I work with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that a lot of people are, feel trapped in within mm -hmm. the healthcare field is feeling like their doctors and their providers are controlling everything they need to do. And yeah. that is doing harm. Yeah. And I think, and you mentioned this at the beginning, like helping to give our clients a voice too, because they may realize like, okay, I, don't like going to the doctor because my doctor always tells me to lose weight, right. but I don't really know how to advocate for myself. I don't know Absolutely. what to say, or maybe they do. They just feel scared to do that Absolutely. and they need someone to kind of help talk them through yes. it. It's like, of course, this is a scary thing for you to talk about. Of course Absolutely. you don't know what to say. Um, and so, yeah, I think the role of someone who practices from that, like health at every size approach can be you know, helping give them a voice Absolutely. and realizing like they can speak up or yes. they can find a new doctor or yes. find a new, you know, dietitian, whatever it yes. may be. Absolutely. I say that finding a provider, whether it's a therapist, a dietitian, a doctor, it's like dating. You would not date mm -hmm. someone you did not like. You would not date mm -hmm. someone who did not listen to you. You would not date yeah. someone you didn't feel comfortable with. Um, and so just because, and I think that that's, what's really hard is that again, it's even harder now within the pandemic of finding these providers. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to feel like you might have to settle and, and that can yeah. be a really hard place. You know, another big thing is just cost. Um, Mm -hmm. and insurance, you know, like it's, it's really not easy. So, yeah. you know, even people listening, you know, wherever you are in your journey, give yourself space to just let yourself know, like, 
this is really friggin' hard. Like mm-hmm. this is really hard. You know, if you're feeling frustrated or if you're feeling like you're not doing it right, like there's really no one way to do it. Right. Yeah. And so I think the best thing that I can kind of offer, which has definitely helped for me and I'm sure helps for a lot of folks in this community is community is finding Mm. people, you know, whether it's listening to this podcast or listening to another podcast or, you know, finding people on Instagram or TikTok Mm. or joining a Facebook community, or sometimes people are doing meetups, you know, depending on different States or different cities and like surround yourself with the people who really lift you. And I think that that is something that Mm. I feel like is always kind of stated, but it's like, so true in this sense, because I will absolutely admit if I did not have a community, I would be nowhere where I'm at right now because Mm -hmm. I can't do it alone. Yeah. We can't do it alone. So if you feel alone and it's hard, know that it might get a little bit easier if you're with other people for sure. Mm. That's huge. And because sometimes, I mean, I see this often with clients, their direct community, whether family, friends are caught up in, you know, diet culture, weight centric focus themselves. And so sometimes it may be finding community outside of that in all those ways you just mentioned support groups, because I feel like that can be so, so beneficial and just helping people to see like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who has this struggle. Like that can be so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I totally agree. Um, so I know you'd mentioned in your bio, you sent over that you also have, I think, is it a minor in photography? Is that right? Yeah. So I attended Simmons college, which is now Simmons university in the Boston area. Mm -hmm. Um, it's quite a small school. It's right down the street Uh from Fenway park is kind of how I tell people where Uh it's at because they don't know where it is. (laughs) Um, but yes, I, I, so I had my major, bachelor's of science in nutrition dietetics. And then I minored in photography, which Mm -hmm. was really awesome just to have another, um, thing to kind of focus on. It was a different, I always kind of tell people it was a different kind of stress. Like it wasn't studying for exams, but it was more so like hours in the dark room, kind of finishing up projects and just being part of a different community as well. Like I have a Mm -hmm. photo community and I also have like the nutrition community as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yes, definitely at the time I was like, Oh, cool. Like food photography, I could totally do this. Like Uh that would be my niche, you know, like absolutely. And I started out that way a little bit. I worked for a couple of the companies that I was working for at the time. I was at Boston Children's Hospital and I Mm -hmm. was doing like their Facebook and flyers and stuff like that with food photography. And then I had actually a project um, in one of my photo classes of portraits, uh, Mm -hmm. self-portraits. And that was when I kind of came to terms with my with my eating disorder at the time, mm. um, which is so kind of funny because there was just so much more growth after that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you think like, oh, I'm growing and I've grown. Yes. And then it's like, <laughs> whoa, you have yeah. so much more to grow. It was um, just the beginning. <laughs> yes, it was just the beginning. So I had done that project and I was like, wow, you know, like this is, I really like this. And mm. um, even at the time, I would say though, my body was definitely more, I, I am someone who has been privilege, been privilege, meaning that I can shop in mainstream stores. I mm-hmm. can, you know, I don't have to call ahead at a restaurant to see if they have a safe seat for me. I don't have to buy yeah. two plane tickets. Um, 
so I have thin privilege. I don't have the thin ideal body, but um, I definitely have thin privilege. But at the time I was in a smaller body than I am today. And so even from that time, like 2014 to now has just been so much growth and just showing my body. That's really what it's Mm -hmm. been. It's just showing my body and letting people know that this is artwork, you know, like my mm-hmm. body is a piece of art and, and so yeah. is everyone's. And so it was really interesting because my photo um, hobby really started mm-hmm. with photographing my younger sister who love her dearly so much. We are two years apart. I have one younger than me and one older than me. Um, mm-hmm. But my younger sister, Samantha, was definitely just my free model growing up. It was great. Mm -hmm. There was no, I had no idea about any of these communities or, you know, something we call TFP shoots, which is just when artists come together without payment. And so Mm -hmm. I was utilizing my sister at the time and everyone saw the photos and was like, oh my goodness, Samantha's so beautiful. Like, oh my goodness, like all this stuff. And I was like, absolutely. That's why I'm photographing her. That's why I'm not Mm -hmm. photo. That's not, that's why I'm not photographing myself (laughs) because Mm -hmm. my sister is, is this thin, ideal, beautiful Mm. person. And that's who I'm going to shoot. And so I'd actually written my college essay about how I am not beautiful, but that I Mm. capture beauty. And Mm. it's just, oh my gosh, like that was such trash. I got into college, but like, (laughs) you know, but like looking back at that, like, holy shit, Emma, like you are beautiful. Like, Mm. and and I think that's the, the, the scary part is that, When I started photographing my body more, I started appreciating it more. I started Mm. becoming more confident in my skin. I started, I started living in my body and not living in my mind. And I feel like Mm. that's such a really important thing to think about is like, how do we live in our bodies? You know, and something that I've been kind of thinking about is like, I have these, like my little I have like back fat and my hands fit perfectly right on my hips mm-hmm. where my back indents. And it's so comfortable. It's so mm-hmm. comfortable to feel my hands against my skin and mm-hmm. hold my body there. Whereas if I saw that years ago, I'd be like, that's disgusting. And that yeah. doesn't even come to my mind. And so mm-hmm. again, it's, it's recognizing, you know, also showing people like, this is what my body looks like. I have thin privilege. Yes. But I also don't look like the models and the influencers you're Mm. seeing. So, you know, I feel like I do focus on a crowd where when it comes to photographing myself, it's more so for people who might even live in smaller bodies than me struggling with Mm -hmm. diet culture, but I also utilize photography and capturing other size bodies. So for for people who are living in, in fat bodies or super fat bodies, you know, um, there's a photographer, Lindley body liberation with Lindley is her Instagram. And she has definitely showed me just how beautiful it can be to photograph people, fat people. Like it's just beautiful. Like yeah. and it's, it's just so authentic and it's not posed. And it's just like, it's just so raw. And I feel like mm. the more I can capture and throw all those images out into the world, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it submerges all of like the fake BS, the fake yeah. face tunes and the skin coloring and the you know, shortening of this and squeezing of that, like the more these raw, authentic, true, real photos of true, real people and bodies are out there. 
I want that to become the expectation mm. because that's the reality. And we're not living yeah. in a reality when we're seeing super thin people, super mm. thin white people all yeah. over Instagram. Yeah. And then, cause I think if that's all we see and it has been, and still pretty much like it, that continues to be, that's what everyone thinks is the norm. It's like, oh, well, yes, I need that to they look have like to that. Be. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Which can feel so isolating and, and it's yes. hard, you know, cause like you said, I very much have thin privilege. And so I can't even try and put myself in the shoes of what it would look like to right. scroll through Instagram and not see someone like me right. represented in Absolutely. my feet. Um, but I can only imagine like that would be so disheartening and, and right. makes sense again, why going back to like the diets and the weight loss and all that stuff, why you would be so inclined to jump on board anything like that. Cause it's Absolutely. like, okay, if I can get attention and look like her, you know, yes. maybe I'll get that job. I'll get that marriage. Absolutely. I'll, however, the right. story continues. Absolutely. And I, that is exactly it. And I will say, I, I believe that that was why I wanted to be thin. You know, I wanted to be thin because I thought I wasn't pretty. I thought mm. that my appearance is what really mattered. And it's just kind of wild to think like, I wouldn't want to date someone just for their appearance. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like if we really think about it, you know, like, and, and I think that is, again, I, I definitely have many privileges. However, I will say that I would not be as strong, as happy, as successful, as in love. Like I am, I am queer in a almost two year relationship right now, mm. um, who I love dearly. And it's mm. such, it's such a relationship and love that could just simply not exist if I had mm. an eating disorder. It, it yeah. just couldn't, it, it, it wouldn't be able to be there because mm. it is really two people who have been mm. hit by eating disorders and diet culture actually in their past. And mm. we are just totally ourselves. And I think mm. that's, what's really hard is like, if you yeah. are with someone, even just with yourself, yeah. and if you feel like you can't be who you are, that's a scary place. Mm. That's a scary place. And that's going to happen with multiple types of intersectionalities. You know, like yeah. if, you know, a black female trans woman wants to be themselves, Mm. that's dangerous that can be dangerous yeah. you know and so so I totally get that there's different types of 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 surfaces in this area mm. but you know spe specifically with eating disorders and diet culture is like if you are with a, a group of people and it, you feel like you can't be yourself that's not your community and that's mm. really hard I've I've actually yeah. I've experienced that with, with mm. some friend groups, you know, who I've yeah. known since I was little, you know, and I'm hanging out with them and I'm like, I just don't feel like myself. And it's, mm. you know, not necessarily maybe they're in their own journeys. I can't force them to accept me. So yeah. I'm going to find someone who can. Right. And mm. that can be real. Like you said, that can be really, really isolating. Yeah. And so I think it's like when we come into these communities, it is, hard. It can be scary mm -hmm. because you've lived the majority of your life thinking one way thin, yeah. thinness and diet culture and, you know, obsessive food intake or 
thinking is mm-hmm. something that has been so deeply ingrained since mm. maybe even toddlerhood. Like it yeah. starts that early. So if you're, you know, 25, 26, if you're, you know, in your 20s or 30s, that could be simply over 20 years that you've yeah. been thinking this way. So yeah, a 30 minute podcast is not going to fix that. Yeah. And it, 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 I think that is same thing when I'm working with clients, like, okay, we've been working with each other even for two years. Mm-hmm. That's still two years versus 20. That's yes. a lot of time. And so mm-hmm. really, I'm not saying that these aren't worth it. It's so worth it because you're accumulating time. The more you yeah. listen to podcasts, the more you watch videos, the more you talk about this with people, you mm-hmm. are building up that time and slowly, you know, deepening yeah. that fat phobic yeah. diet culture mindset that you literally were raised with. Yeah. It's like you're unlearning years and years and years and relearning. And I love that you even brought that up about like the time it takes, because I think, you know, with a lot of the clients I see, there can be almost that this like feeling of failure of like, why is it taking me so long to grasp and to make change? And I always tell them that I'm like, okay, you've been struggling with this since you were eight years old, like it's gonna (laughs) take time time. and, and it's okay to be frustrated about that. Cause sure. We want change to happen overnight. That would make so many things in life much easier, but that's not really how it works. Um, absolutely. Yeah. I think that can be freeing in a sense to help people understand like freeing, but also sure. Like scary and and all that. Yeah. Like it takes time and it takes a lot of just patience with yourself and compassion and, and all of that. And I think honestly, it also takes a little bit of imagination. You know, I think that that is, you know, specifically working with eating disorders, disordered eating, Mm -hmm. chronic dieters, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like this vessel of the unknown. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of compare it to like an abusive relationship or a Mm -hmm. relationship that you just aren't happy in. Sometimes people make the decision of being miserable just to stay in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe to kind of define that metaphor, it's like, maybe you would rather just be miserable in your body than gain Mm -hmm. weight. Right. But you don't even know if you're going to gain weight. You could gain weight, you could lose weight. Your body could stay the same. We have no idea. And I think another thing that I hear all the time is I don't know who I am without Mm. dieting. I don't know who I am without eating disorder, without, without my eating disorder. And the thing is no one does, right. Because if your eating disorder or chronic dieting started to develop at the age of eight and you're now 26, well, yeah. you're not going back to your eight-year-old self. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you might have a job, you have friendships, you might have a family, you might have kids, dogs, relationships, priorities. Like, yeah, this person doesn't exist yet. So you can mm. make it who you want it to be. And I yeah. think that is such an amazing thing to, to start to recognize and feel you're, there's no old self. There's yeah. no old self. There's been too much trauma and damage. Mm. There's no way we're going back to that. It's yeah. more so creating something new, creating you, what you want it to look like. You know, mm. I feel like I sometimes ask myself and ask my, my clients as well as like, 
what do you want your life to be like? Yeah. You know, do you want, like one of my clients was working in Cambridge. She was a fifth grade teacher. She was Mm -hmm. living in an apartment with uh, another roommate that she didn't really vibe with. And she was originally from Vermont. And she was like, I wish I could go on a hike every day. Mm. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I wish I could like, you know, maybe teach at a camp or something. And I was like, yeah. And she's doing it. She left her Mm. job. She's back in Vermont. She's hiking. She's, she's Mm. still, you know, diet culture isn't totally gone from her life, but she is valuing herself. And so the more we value ourselves, the less room there is for diet culture to kind of take over. And I think that Mm. is where I love doing intuitive eating because unlike a diet in so many ways, I think the main reason is that Intuitive eating starts with your eating and your body, but it quickly starts to branch out to other areas of your life where Mm -hmm. I feel very intuitive now with how many hours I work in a week. I feel very intuitive when it's time to take a vacation. I feel very intuitive Mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, being in maybe unsafe situations or having a conversation or an argument. I feel, I feel like I can trust myself, right? Because Mm -hmm. we need our bodies and ourselves. Yeah. Do everything that we do, not just eat, but to do everything we do. And so it's really this nice, it's almost like it's so much more than just food in our bodies. It starts there, Mm -hmm. but it really starts to evolve into Mm. our life. And that's why I just love it so much because it doesn't just stop with food. It really does branch out into so many other vessels. Mm. That's gosh, all that is so good. I'm like sitting here. I'm like, I could listen to you talk about this for hours. (laughs) I can talk about all of this for hours because it's so important. Absolutely. Um, Oh, that's so good. Um, well, The way I love to just kind of wrap up episodes is asking our guests what their favorite food memory is, because I think, you know, I see so often with clients that, you know, we're taught growing up all these rules and things that take all the fun out of food and take the culture and the family and the memories and all of that. So I would love to hear what is um, maybe a favorite food memory you have. Absolutely. So this is a funny one, Dylan. Um, So my childhood church um, Mm -hmm. holds a feast, a church feast every, Uh every year. It has so much Italian food. I am Mm -hmm. half Italian, half Portuguese. So um, my dad's side is Italian and I have thankfully I'm so appreciative. I have both grandparents on both sides and my, Mm. my dad's mom, my, my Mima is what we call her. She Mm. loves to cook. She loves to bake. It's definitely something that is so deeply in her soul and she's awesome at it. Um, and she works at the church feast. Um, Mm -hmm. and so this is kind of like a food surrounding memory, but mostly it, I just feel like especially like at a feast, like I feel like you have doughboys, you have burgers, you have sausage, Mm -hmm. you have, you know, ice cream, you have all these cookies and all this stuff. And so I think again, like throughout my eating disorder, it was definitely a scary place to be. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I was a child, when I was there, it was my favorite place to be. It was, it was awesome. It was so many delicious mm. foods. And I got to see my grandmother cook there and be with her church community. And it was so awesome. But one time I had gone with my sisters and my cousin and my uncle and my dad, and I had 
stared too longly at something. I don't even remember. I think it was a ride or I don't remember, but I stared mm-hmm. too long and I looked behind me and my family was gone. I did oh, not gosh. see anyone and I was lost. Uh-huh. I vividly remember this moment so deeply. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was like staring around and obviously this family was like, are you lost? And I'm like, yeah. where's my oh. What's going on? And so they sent me to the um, church stage where mm-hmm. all Italian music was being played and all these old people <laughs> are in the crowd, like eating their dough boys. And they're like, all right, we have Miss Emma Darpino up here. She's lost. Emma, what's your dad's name? I'm like, Bob. <laughs> like, what's Bob wearing? I was like, I don't know. And all of a sudden, my Mima comes from the grill, oh. spatula in hand, waving it up. That's my Emma! That's my Emma! And I'm like, And it's just so, it's just such a funny memory because in a place where, you know, and I, I go every year and it's just Mm. so wild to see my relationship with food change Mm. where like I was physically lost there at one point and my Mima, who is such a lover of food and has always told me to eat and manja, 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 this manja, manja, that. Mm was there to save me. And and then again, it came to a time where I still felt lost, you know, maybe not mm. physically lost, but totally lost with food yeah. to then come back as who I am now in my relationship with food and be totally great. And, and, and remember mm. that moment and be able to enjoy the, enjoy the doughboys or the fried food or the fried calamari or all of this beautiful cultural food that I feel like, again, is so demonized. Yeah. Um, so although it wasn't, it had to do a little bit with food, but more so just with my beautiful Mima. No, um, that's it's so definitely a, a memory I hold so close to my heart, um, uh, for sure. Oh, I love that. And I, I feel like that meant that feeling of like, when you're in a crowd and you can't find your family, like, I feel like I can like still feel that at my court. Like you look yes. around, you're like, what? where are you're they? Like, what is going on? Yes. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, and I, I think it's that. very common when we feel that way. I feel like we can feel that way around food sometimes, yeah. you know, like, oh, yeah. like, oh my goodness, there's all of these delicious forbidden foods around me. I feel so lost. Where's my comfort? Where's my, yeah. where's my safe haven? Um, mm. So it's definitely one of my favorite memories for sure. Mm, I love that. Well, Emma, where can people find you if they want to follow along? Yes. So I am on Instagram. My Instagram is just my first and my last name. So E-M-M-A-D-A-R-P-I-N-O, Emma Darpino. Um, My website is just www.emmadarpino.com. And I'm also sort of kind of going back into Twitter a little bit. And that's just at Emma Darpino RD. Um, So those are all the places that you can find me. Mm, Awesome. We will make sure all of that is linked. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dylan. This was awesome. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. 
If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.